Welcome everyone. We are so glad that you have decided to join us this evening. Um, you know, it's a Monday, but what a better way to start your Monday or end your Monday with a fabulous conversation. So I am joined tonight with the amazing Heather Fletes. She is actually a dear friend of mine. She is the elementary section lead for TCTELA. So let's give it up for Heather. TCTELA. Woo, woo, woo. Yes. She is also an education consultant. With She has her own LLC, HF Reads LLC, where she works all things literacy, K through 12. So Heather, welcome. We are so glad that you're here tonight. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and just talk with the people who are supporting the teachers that we all love and thinking even now, you know, by the pool, running their kids around for summer activities about how to support teachers so they can support yes. kids better. So thank you for being here. Yeah, you know, I always think this is the best kind of PD. I wish teachers and educators could receive their uh, off-campus credit for this or their out-of-contract, off-contract credit for this, because to me, this is some of the best learning. So if you are joining us live, you are vegging on the couch, hanging out with us, Give us a shout out, tell us, send us your name, tell us where you're joining us from. And if you have any questions tonight, please, please, please enter them in the chat because we do have some things that we're gonna talk about, but our focus is you. And we wanna make sure that we answer your questions so you feel great about this upcoming school year. So Heather, tell us, let's get kicked off. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, I have been in school, it feels like my whole life. I'm in the middle of five kids from a small town in Texas. And I just grew up thinking school was the best place ever that you could be. And I knew probably from the age of four that I wanted to be a teacher. It was between that and nurses because they're really helpful. Um, but teachers won out. And I would teach my teddy bears and my dolls. And the first person I ever taught to read was my little brother, who's five years younger than me. And I just was hooked. So, um, I got to kind of watch and harvest craft even going through school because I already knew that's who I wanted to be when I grew up. And I have taught in a couple of different districts. My beginnings were a little bit different than maybe you would expect. I was actually a bilingual and dual language teacher first. That was my degree from Texas A&M. And I got to teach in a early exit, late exit, one-way and two-way dual language programs, and then got to step out of the classroom into a role supporting teachers and writing curriculum and coaching. And about five years ago, I actually had the chance to um, begin consulting, which is more of the same coaching and training teachers and just getting to be a cheerleader from the sidelines as the magic happens. Oh, I love that. And you know how admirable, Heather, I'm going to tell you when I was younger, I wanted to be an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> my, it's, my not not admirable. it's not too late. I feel like we should have an event now where you can live that dream. Oh my and God. I'll think of someone I want to dress up as. Yes. I think, I think poetry night at our TCTLA conference, I might be rocking a sequins jumpsuit. It might just happen. Okay. Listen, I'm thinking right now, maybe I'll dress like Lizzo or, you know, someone who writes really great music that I want to emulate as well. So it's Oh, my gosh. Yes. Can I, girl, can I tell you, Lizzo's lyrics, using a lot of those in the classroom. Hold up. That could be a whole nother session. I think we could have some great 
powerful messaging opportunity. I love that. Another conversation. Oh, and my dog. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I have a dog too. Hopefully she'll behave. Oh, and she's, I didn't tell where I live. I live in McKinney, Texas, and my dog's name is McKinney. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Um, well, my, my dog is Frankie, so you might hear him barking here in a little bit, but Heather, for those that are watching, you know, you had mentioned coaching and consulting and go ahead and tell us a little bit about what that position, how it can benefit teachers, educators, a campus. What is the power of coaching? I love that. So we talked about when I was a little girl playing school and I didn't play instructional coaching because I didn't even know that that existed. But one of my professors, um, actually of early reading development at Texas A&M, told me that I was going to be a teacher leader someday. And I got kind of mad at her because I was like, no, my my dream is to be in a classroom with kids. And she said, yes, but when you're in the classroom with kids in elementary school, you're impacting 20, 22, maybe 24 or 25 kids a year. But when you're a teacher leader, you can impact hundreds of kids and their teachers every year. And that impact over time is exponential. And she kind of told my future. And um, I'm so thankful and honored to be able to do that work. I, I do still, and you guys might feel this, that in August, I get really jealous and sad because I don't get my own list of kids. I have this kind of grieving period, but unlike when I was in the classroom and I would wake up in the middle of the night thinking about kids, I wake up thinking about you in the middle of the night and how I can love and serve and inspire you to do the work that, that matters so much. So yeah, it looks like a lot of learning and a lot of trying to think in my brain, how I can articulate what as a teacher, maybe it felt natural, but teaching other teachers how to do it gets a little more murky. So it's been really challenging. Yeah, I, you know, I I sit and I, I talk to a lot of administrators and instructional coaches, and oftentimes I will hear them say, I, I just want to go back to the classroom. I miss the kids. And you made such a great point, Heather, because you said you talked about the multiplied impact that it has. And so anyone who is joining us today, one, if you have felt that way before that you were just like, oh, I just want to go back to the classroom. Give us give us a heart, you know, give us a heart emoji or a thumbs up emoji because we know how you feel. However, we do also know the power of coaching. And so we want you to think of it that way of how much impact you are making, because it's not just your classroom. Now it's everyone's which can be so powerful. I love that. And Alyssa, if we didn't miss the classroom, we probably wouldn't be the right people to be doing this work. So if you miss that, you know, go get your fix and then just know that that's affirming that you're right where you need to be because you got to love kids and you got to have a heart for instruction to do this work well. You do. Please do not. Please do not try to go into coaching or administration because you want to get out of the classroom. That is the wrong reason. (laughs) You probably won't be super successful. No. So kind of like on the coattail of that, you know, we've I've experienced some great coaches, some great administrators. I've also experienced some not so great coaches and not so great administrators. So kind of tell us about your past experiences with instructional leaders and how you whether good or bad and how have you taken that with you into your own practice? 
I love this question. So I, I never had an instructional coach as a teacher. And some of you in this room, maybe in this room, this virtual room, maybe you are going to be one of the first ones for your school or your school district. So we didn't have official instructional coaches, but let me tell you what we did have. You know, as a student teacher, I had teachers who would throw me up there. They would let me watch them. They would, we would co-teach. We would plan something together. They'd throw me up there. They'd give me feedback. So that was kind of some of my first instructional coaching. And then and as a new teacher, I had the teachers down the hallway who would invite me in or they would share, you know, how it went with their classroom. And I was like, wait, this bombed. Why did this bomb in my class? What am I doing wrong? Or, hey, your kids are doing so well with that math concept. Can you show me how you explain that? And so it was sort of unofficial. And then, you know, she probably won't, this won't get back to her, but there was this reading specialist. So some of you, maybe you've had a reading specialist at your campus um, if you're in elementary or junior high. And her name is Lauren Spur, and she is an instructional genius. And she would come to me, and I, I still felt like a pretty young teacher at the time. And she would say things like, hey, your data is really good in, in these areas. Can you tell me why that is? And I was like, I don't know. You know, it's just it's yeah. the kids probably. And she would come back to me and say, you know, no, I looked. It's it's not the kids. It's something you're doing. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, watch. You, you see. And so she would watch, and she would help me name what was going well. So she is the person I think who taught me to be a reflective teacher because before that y'all, when no one was looking, I would run from place to place. I felt my pants were on fire constantly. There's always more to do and more to learn and more to teach. And I like teach right up until the end of the day without that like pause to let it sink in. So she really taught me that I have to reflect on how is the learning going and what teaching is leading to great learning and then what teaching might learn lead to better better learning when it's not going well. So I really thank you, Lauren Spur. If you see this, I love you. And you made a difference in my teaching life. Oh, how wonderful. Uh, Lauren Spur, I hope you hear this because, <laughs> you know, that's something that is so wonderful to know that you've impacted someone's life. And you've kind of mentioned this twice, Heather, that, you know, your professor in college had told you you were going to be an instructional leader. And then Lauren Spur telling you, you know, are asking you what you were doing and kind of empowering you to be reflective. And so kind of tell us a little bit like the power of words that we can have as an instructional leader. What have you found to be the best to really lift up the teachers around you? I think I was, I was thinking about this. I think a lot before things like this. I'm really, I get in my meta headspace. But I was thinking about the conversations we have walking on the hallway or in the teacher's lounge or, you know, on the way to grab kids in the morning or to duty. And a lot of times, you know, we compliment each other's outfit or, you know, new hairstyle or, oh, what a cute little coffee mug with your books on it. And it is so cute. But what I have learned in working with teachers is to see the things that teachers are doing with their students that are leading to learning and to call those things out and praise it. Like, Hey, I saw the writing that's hanging in the hallway from your class. And I can tell that you let kids write about whatever they want. Like, that's amazing. I want to be the kind of teacher that honors voice like you do, or be the kind of teacher that tells the new teacher, Oh my goodness. I love all the new things you're trying and the way that you use social media to get new ideas. Will you show me how to do that? So I think it's, uh, 
changing the conversation to the those compliments and those conversations that really make a difference for kids, but they also keep us invigorated and alive. And it's like the praise for the right thing that leads to the results that we're all looking for. Because yes, your dress is so cute and I love your coffee mug, but I love what you do for kids and the way it's changing the world. So yeah, words are powerful for me and words matter. And I want teachers... Teachers in their heads are really hard on themselves, I find, very often. They're, even the ones who kind of seem flippant are hard on themselves, and the narrative in their head is not usually very positive. So when you're getting them in that reflective space um, and, and you're helping them name the things they're doing well, they carry it with them. Yeah. And then when the negativity seeps in, they've got like this defense, you know, coming against those words. Um, and it doesn't mean that they're perfect, but it means like they're adding value and they're putting themselves out there in ways that, that impact kids. And we want them all to stay. So <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, that is a huge motivating factor for adults. And I think as an instructional leader, sometimes we, we struggle with how do we motivate the adults in the room and the power of positive praise goes so far specific positive praise because it perpetuates those behaviors and just like you said heather it, i mean it doesn't have to be something gigantic but just i love how you are using social media to learn and implement new things something like that can go a long way and and so we know that you know, we're about to come up on a brand new school year. I see uh, some people that are attending one of them. Levi Pickett just received a job as an instructional coach this year. An instructional oh, coach. yay! I'm so excited for him. So for our new coaches in the house, tell us what are some common challenges that coaches might encounter, especially when it comes to developing adult relate those relationships with adult learners and what can you do to overcome them? Yes. Well, honestly, I think that we ourselves are the first barrier. Um, and I, I put out strategically some picture books. Okay. So uh, I put this one out. It's like, I am a thief. So like, sometimes we have this, this imposter sin syndrome going on in our heads. Like the reasons that we, we shouldn't be in the room we're in, we shouldn't be in front of the people we're in, you know, we don't deserve that thing that, that people have, have put us in. And, um, you know, the, the truth is we're standing on the shoulders of all of the teachers and instructional leaders and authors who've influenced us, the, the conventions and conferences we've been at. We, we're standing on their shoulders and we're, we're stealing from them. So really, it's not just us in the room. It's all of those mentors that we've harvested from along the way. Um, and so I have to give myself like a little chat. Um, I have to talk with myself and say, hey, you know, it's not that you have to be the perfect one. It's like you have to be there for um, the teacher who needs a the next right move for the teacher who needs a positive word for the teacher who just needs that one move that could totally lift things in their classroom to the next level. So um, kind of starting with yourself as the obstacle. Um, and then another thing that I think that you're going to face probably is ego. Um, so whether it's teachers who see you, um, you know, in your youth or in your um, freshness into your role um, or from a different campus or a different school district or a different state, whatever it is, um, 
they're going to seem a little resistant to you. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny um, now, but those, you know, those kids who always got moved to your room because they were like tricky or difficult mm-hmm. and they get tattooed on your heart mm-hmm. and you'll never forget their names. Those are the teachers that get tattooed on my heart these days. And I think that the biggest thing that helped with those students was forming relationships with them, getting to know like, what are they about? What's their background? What motivates them? Um, And if they love kids, then I can find a way to make it work. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes they are resistant or they have an ego because they have initiative fatigue. They have seen the pendulum swing and they've seen a new roll out every month for 20 years and they are tired, like teacher tired. So I think just understanding that, um, and kind of not getting offended by their ego, um, is really helpful. And when they, when you inevitably face an attitude or an ego from a teacher or a leader, don't take it personally, just take it as kind of a challenge to see how you can find a way under, over, around it. Um, and try not to like go and fuss about it to anyone yes. else because as an instructional leader, it's really important that you maintain that professionalism and that integrity because you're, you're going to be working with that person for a while, hopefully. Um, and even if they're a little fussy, they're better than no teacher or they're better than the substitute, you know, yeah. that we could plug in there. So, um, yeah, this is great. So in the way to earn credibility with them is to do your job well. And I learned this the hard way. Sometimes I thought over the summer I had worked crafting beautiful curriculum documents with hyperlinks and color coding and state standards right on them. And they were just magical and it didn't seem to move some of those, um, crusty, resistant teachers, but Mm -hmm. I would say, Ooh, can I've been working on a thing that I want to try? Could I try it with your class? Like what, what day would work? Or I I have been hearing amazing things about your math block and the way that you're, um, you know, differentiating for language learners. Can I just come and watch you and take notes? Cause I think I could learn a lot. So being about instruction and wanting to both deliver instruction and watch instruction really increases your credibility. Um, And then I think having in your tool belt, a couple of power moves um, that, you know, work well, like I can walk in classrooms because I've had a lot of experience watching teaching and learning now. And in most classrooms, if we could lift the level of questioning and conversation, everything would lift. So that's like one of my go-to moves is look at the level of questioning and helping teachers raise the level of questioning. Because when you raise the talk, you raise the thinking, and it doesn't matter whether you're working with science teachers or social studies or math or literacy, that's true for every content area um, and every language children could be speaking. So I think that that's like a big move. So have some go-to moves that are really, um, helpful or, um, you know, working with, um, like think pair share partners. So we, we called them bilingual partners back Mm -hmm. in the day, but just having students turn and talk with partners. Engagement is something that's really coming up in Texas. Um, you know, are the students really engaged? Well, when we raise hands and share, that's like one at a time. And maybe you get to four or five kids and the one you really needed to hear, you couldn't hear because Larry was talking. So have them turn and talk and then you be up moving around and and eavesdropping on kids. So then a hundred percent engagement is happening and you're freed up to kind of take notes. So I think, um, you know, having some good tools in your tool belt, being willing to get into instruction to watch and learn um, and to point out some awesome things like, oh, yes, Miss Krusty teacher, I 
learned so much from watching you differentiate from your ELLs. And here's, here are three things I'm going to share with everyone next week because yeah. of what I saw you do. And that will very quickly break down um, barriers. I also did like sneak notes. So um, sometimes we instructional type folks and, and administrators can walk in with a laptop open or the iPad open. And there's something about a screen that for some teachers can feel like a barrier and impersonal. So I take in a handy dandy notebook everywhere and I take notes. I do. Yep. <laughs> uh-huh. And then I have like a little system for drafting emails at the end of the day or at my lunch break where it's like um, two glows and a grow. And hey, I have this hub document that I keep all these great links on. And I here are two links. You know, here's me teaching a video of that that, you know, was kind of fun. And here's Miss Crusty teacher. Look at her differentiate for ELL. So you can be linking helpful documents or videos and you keep a place to land with those when you find them so that they're easy to find and it feels personal to the teacher and it is, but it also is a system for you that will work because you don't want to spend three hours sending emails at night. That wouldn't be the best. So, well, and Heather, you brought up, well, two things really that I want to emphasize is as a coach. And if you want to establish credibility, one, you have to build the relationship. So, one thing that I always do is schedule 10 minute interviews with every single teacher that I coach at the beginning of the school year, just okay. those one-on-ones. And, um, and then that way I can use them as touch points, as casual conversations and as coaching conversations. So get to know your people and talk to them in a human way before a professional relationship way. But then another thing you brought up, Heather, that is so important is you know making the comments like hey do you mind if i try this or i see this i i want to is it okay if we do this to solve this and that takes being visible in the classroom so one of my biggest suggestions to new coaches out there and even veteran coaches the more you are visible in the classroom the more your feedback counts so Mm -hmm. and, and think about this when you receive your end of school year evaluation do you take it seriously if the principal's only been in your room once no i've never heard anyone taking their evaluation seriously if they've only been in one so get into classrooms on day one not as a coach not as someone who's going to leave feedback but just a a partner let me come in and help you co-teach manage the crazy let me help you know just be visible constantly so that your feedback counts and that's and that's when you can step in and do exactly what heather said hey man are you okay if i try something with your students real quick let's see if it works i am much more going to allow that release of control with someone who knows my students and knows the situation. (laughs) Yes, I love that. Something I learned the hard way too is, you know, I do tend to remember what people tell me. And so if teachers tell me like something personal that's going on or happening, you know, I want to hear them and then I might check back. Well, you know, checking back um, about the wrong thing can do, it can lead to kind of an emotional tangent. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to care about people for sure. But I found that like making it something lighthearted or something fun about their kids that I remember jotting that down and then reminding myself of that, then it kind of 
make sure that we don't get sidetracked because my job is to drive great instruction, not just to be their, you know, emotional support person. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to emotionally support them as we drive results with kids because that's so needed. So that was something I'll, I'll like jot down little details about them, but just try to keep it pretty light um, because you don't want to end up in that kind of therapy session. And it it would be really easy to do that. Yes. And, And you know, that something else coaches, Set some boundaries for yourself because there will be some times when and sometimes, you know, you need to let people vent and and do that. But, you know, you also have to set some boundaries as well. (laughs) You know, Alyssa, something else I learned and I learned this from Patty McGee. So I'm going to have an entree into this conversation. One of the things that's important as an instructional coach, whether you're coaching all content areas or you're, you know, math and science focus or literacy and social studies, being part of professional organizations um, and and getting connected with content area experts and coaching experts, just like Alyssa. I mean, you are in the right place for sure if you're connecting with her. Uh, But at one of those great conferences, I got to sit at a round table with Patty McGee. And the funny thing is I say we sat at a round table, but the truth is we sat in a circle on the floor. And Patty McGee was someone that um, had done work that I had read, but she wasn't necessarily always the headliner in it. And then these amazing education influencers don't, they don't like wear a tag broadcasting that at conferences. They look just like your new conference friend. Mm -hmm. And she sat with us on the floor and I was new to this, this work. And I even have like the journal it's written in. And I was like, what, but Patty, you know, I can do this with kids, but how do, when I'm working with adults, how do I get them to move the way that kids used to for me? And she said, think about the conversations you have when you're kind of we're conferring with kids about their work. And a lot of the times we'll ask, you know, a writer or a reader, Hey, how's it going with your writing? How's it going with your teaching? Uh, sorry, with your reading or writing. Mm-hmm. And so I say that with teachers, how's it going with your teaching? Um, you know, what's going well. And what do you think your next move is that you want to work on? And then that next move, that's kind of like you researching, Hey, I care about you, Alyssa, as a teacher or Miss Krusty teacher. Hey, how's it going with your teaching? And they're going to tell you all the awesome things. Ooh, what do you want to work on next? Oh, that's so cool. I love that you want to work on promoting student talk. Can I, can I share some tools with you? And in fact, like, Ooh, how's your next Thursday look? Could we like co-teach together using some of these strategies? So then it's like you do some research so they feel like their voice matters and it does because that helps you. You want to help them at the point that they want to be helped because they have buy-in and then you can provide a couple of resources and then you can go do the work and come back and say, okay, so how do, how do you feel like that went with students? What did the student work look like afterwards? So what moves do you think were most powerful there? Because what you want them to do is not just do the teaching with you, but reflect because when they have their reflective moment, if, if they kind of praise themselves for it, like, oh yeah, I did that thing and it made kids learn well, they will do it again and again and again. And you won't need to remind them. You won't. And, you know, Jim Knight talks about one of the uh, principles of being an instructional coach is praxis. And you position the teacher as the expert. You're not the one to come in and just be like, you need to do this. You need to do this. No, asking those reflective questions. What's your biggest pain point? What do you want to solve? Would your life be so much better if this were solved? You know, are you okay? Can I show you a few things? You position them as the decision maker in the journey. And um, 
one of my uh, one of the social media influencers that I follow is Donald Miller. He is all about business. So like in learning about my own business, you know, he always talks about how you are the guide, not the hero. And I think that's the same thing with instructional leaders. We're the Yoda to their, you know, I don't even know Star Wars. Jedi oh Knight. No, you were so close. <laughs> the Yoda to the Jedi Knight. Yeah. Yes, we are the Yoda to the Jedi Knight because we're the guide. And we should not be the hero of their story. They're the hero of their story. And so it makes me think when you talk about that, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And instructional leaders, position your teachers as the hero in their own journey. They're the decision maker. Yes. Yeah. So sometimes even when you have those conversations, sometimes you'll have a Mr. Crustier teacher that it doesn't work for. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that we can do is we can kind of spin our wheels and not have a ton to show for it. So sometimes what I'll do is like that next level of work is I'll send a follow-up. Mr. Krusty, your teacher, we discussed, you know, raising the level of student talk in your classroom. And I shared these strategies with you. I'd love to follow up next week and hear how it's going. Mm -hmm. And honestly, y'all, I learned that the hard way, like to have some sort of trail for those conversations because you are accountable for the work. And if um, the administrator comes to you and says, hey, how come Mr. Crustier is still not doing the thing that we wanted him to do? You say, you know, here's, here's what I've I tried first and here's what I tried with the whole team. And here's what I tried again, special. And here's when I'm going to follow up next. So you're not saying Mr. Crustier still isasn't doing it, but you're saying, here's the plan that I'm, you know, keeping working. Or you might even say, Hey, you know, you've known Mr. Crustier teacher for seven years now. Do you have any tips for, um, you know, what, what really helps him get by in? So kind of partnering with the administrators and not whining, but just kind of being strategic. Um, I've learned the hard way sometimes to make sure that you have, um, you know, you, you just keep some track of those things. So let's kind of talk about that for a second in partnering with administration. What, how would, if the administrator does not approach the coach to establish a weekly meeting or something along those lines, what suggestions would you give to the coach to initiate that relationship? Oh, that's such a good question. And the timing is impeccable because what I would be doing right now is as soon as you're back on contract, whether you, you know, serve a school with two administrators or you're serving eight schools with two administrators each, I would plan time in your schedule and I would ask them, you know, quickly, hey, when's a great time before teachers come back that I could touch base with you about, you know, your goals and expectations for this year? Because I want to make sure that my work supports the work that you're already planning for your campus. Mm -hmm. So I would really um, establish that initial connection and then put it as a calendar invite and send it to them because they're busy this time of year. And that way you've already kind of saved that time. You make sure you're on time to it. And, um, they're like, oh, this is a person who's going to take initiative and make things easier for me. But if you wait until school has already started, they have 73,000 things on their mind yeah. and you might not be at the top of that list. So I would do it before school even starts. Absolutely. Yeah. And something I do is I just tell them in that initial meeting that um, I, to, to help strengthen communication, our meetings need to be frequent. And I just ask them what day of the week works good for you. Let's go ahead and put it on the calendar. And then I do a year long every Friday we meet during third period or 
whatever it is, and, or it could be every other week, but mm -hmm. that is the longest that I would go without having yes. a meeting with administration because, and like you had mentioned, there's no tattletailing. There's no this or that. You keep that clean and the relationship clean. However, there is nothing more frustrating than when you are working on a goal with a teacher and an administrator comes in and gives conflicting messages. <laughs> so if that communication is open, you and the administrator can work together. It removes overwhelm from the teacher. It strengthens their uh, goal itself. And so keep it open. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And then you can link the work that you're doing um, to the work that they're doing and, and just work it from multiple angles and increase the, the impact for kids. Because most, um, you know, at least in Texas, they have to fill out a strategic plan. So knowing what's on that plan and, um, you know, what are their big hitting goals looking at data, you know, where do we really need to support this year? And, and then thinking about the tools in your tool belt, you want to make sure that they would align with, with those goals, at least for this year, you know, there might be some that rest for a while and you can bring back later in. And then I think um, when you have those meetings with administrators, some of them want to chat for a while. Some of them need you to be very brief and concise and communicate in, in, in your communication with them because they, their time is really precious, just like yours and just like a teacher's yeah. time. So you need to be able to make it clear and quick when you check in. Um, and then, oh, I love words so much, but sending a busy administrator really wordy emails during a busy time of year is going to really be not good. So try to get it brief and revise those emails before you send them to think about like, what could be a bullet point here? Um, you know, there's some negativity here like that I need to share, but what can I tell them that's going well? Make sure that you're sharing that with them so that it's like, hey, there's some great things happening here as well. Yeah, I always, I tried to always keep the rule. If it cannot be in a bullet point list for my administrator, I need to meet with them face to face mm -hmm. because it really things get lost in the weeds and they really do receive 20 million emails a day. So it's like, keep it, keep it concise. I love that, Heather. Um, yes. So a lot of instructional coaches are also in charge of facilitating PLCs and um, their team meetings. Some are not, but some are. What are some ways, and even if you're not an instructional coach, what, how do you suggest strengthening and fostering a culture of collaboration among teams? So some of you will have a lot of say in how those meetings go, and some of you will be required to implement district level initiatives mm -hmm. in a very specific way, just depending on where your district is at with a journey in PLCs. Um, for some teachers right now, it feels like a, a curse word. Um, and the truth is that it's, it's not really, you know, a true professional learning community is like that when I was a new teacher, that teacher down the hallway saying, hey, you know, how'd it go with that lesson today? Here's how it went for me. What'd you do differently? And then I, I learned from that and it benefits kids or like the reading support teacher saying, hey, your dad is really good. What do you do differently? And I'm like, I don't know. You can come watch. And so I think that um, 
reframing those conversations around PLC. And when um, an administrator talks about PLC, I very respectfully sometimes will gently redirect them like, oh yeah, you know, sometimes in PLC, we could just have teachers pop up and show one of those high leverage standards and how they would explain it or teach it, you know, because that instruction part is really important. We don't always have to look at data every single time. Or if your district is working on systems or campus that you're going to be working with, try to keep the burden of paperwork light. Because if there's a ton of paperwork attached to PLCs, then that becomes the focus. And we feel like we're at the Department of Motor Vehicles rather than at a place where teachers learn and grow. And instead, what they do is they dot their I's and cross their T's in that meeting to make you happy. And then they walk outside and they collaborate in the hallway or they don't because they're so burned out. So I think that it's um, really important that you can control the the tone and the lens. And um, even if you have some of those required forms and things that you can help teachers, you can model that process. Oh, here's how I'd fill that in as we're planning through that thing. The person who really has could be doing 10 things at once, can listen and fill it in. And we make sure it looks how we want it to look. So um, you can kind of model that and then hand over that process to them. You don't want to get stuck being the master of of PLCs. And as an instructional coach, you don't want to get stuck running all of those because Mm -hmm. you won't be an instruction. And if you're not an instruction, they will not feel your impact like they will if you could get in with kids and in classes. Absolutely. And, you know, you brought up tone and we have some comments about tone. And I just think it's important as a coach, you're not positioning yourself as the boss. And sometimes not, sometimes they don't mean to, but I have seen it where that does happen. And so the collaboration, people are just waiting for them to tell you to tell them what to do. And then it it doesn't become collaborative. So instructional leaders, as a member of a PLC, during any collaborative team meeting, my rule of thumb is just try not to be the one who talks the most and and really ensure that everyone's voice is heard and yours is taking a back seat. And you know, you will know when to speak up, but you don't always have to be the loudest voice in the room. You know, that makes me think of a quote from Jan Birkins and Kim Yaris, who wrote the book, Who's Doing the Work? And it's talking about with kids, like when you walk into a classroom, if the teacher's the one doing all the talking, she's doing the thinking and the learning. You want kids doing the the talking, the thinking, the learning. And the same is true with teachers. Um, So questions you could ask them, hey, what do you think? What could we try? What might work? Um, So those kind of prompts, I agree with you, Alyssa. That's And you are an expert in instruction. And that's why you're in this role. Your goal isn't to have them be dependent on you, but to show them their power to affect change in learning. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Um, okay. So I have a, two more questions here. What, and so especially for the start of the school year, what do exceptional coaches do at the start of the school year? I would say get your docs set up. And when I say docs, there was a time where I was working with five different campuses and I needed lists of staff. So I want to know like who's new. I want a staff list. Um, I want to know um, 
you know, that I know the office staff at the campuses I'm going to. So knowing the people who will be there, um, I want to know my schedule. You know, what are the expectations for it? How can I balance my time between the office and the classroom? Um, always more heavily in the classroom. If not, you will learn it the hard way. Um, so I would set up, whether it's Google Docs or whatever type of um, processor you use these days, uh-huh. um, I would set those documents and schedules up in the beginning and take the time to do it well, because it will save you so much time. And then I would sit down and write yourself some goals. You know, how will I know that I have been successful as an instructional leader on this campus this year? What will that look like? And it's probably something like student results because of teacher growth and pedagogy. And I can point my finger to some strategies and pedagogy practices that I've shared with them. Uh, But writing it down so that you can look back at it. and, And I would suggest, like someone suggested to me, set a calendar um, reminder for yourself, you know, three or four times during the year. So you can check in with yourself because you want teachers to do that and they want kids to do that. But if you don't do that, it's really hard to be authentic in that. And then I mentioned a hub document. This saved my life because they're just all the great things and great resources. And we're in an age where the resources never stop coming. Mm -hmm. So when you find something good, start a Google document with different sections. And it could be that you coach four content areas and you want one section that's math, one section that's, you know, language arts. You want one section that's general practices, um, you know, videos, things just to make teachers laugh. So put a table in that doc and and organize it and you can add and change it and modify it. But if you start that from the beginning, there's something great from day one that you can share with teachers. Um, And they're used to you sharing great little snippets throughout the year. um, And you have a place to keep them. Make sure that you know the documents um, in curriculum for your school district, because if you don't know them, Miss Krusty and Mr. Krusty do, and they will call you out on them. And if they have mistakes, they'll be the ones to let you know. And when they do, you'll say, oh my goodness, Miss Krusty and Mr. Krusty you guys are so great at catching details. I love that you're the kind of teachers who really know the curriculum. Let me write that down and we will get that changed by the end of day today. And, you know, just any other mistakes you find, will you go ahead and just email me when you find them right away so I can fix them before any other teacher has to see them? You know, don't Uh, get offended. Beautiful response. (laughs) Thank you for being the thorn in my side. (laughs) Or like a lot of you might help. Yes. Oh, I've learned the hard way. I have learned the hard way because I love teachers. And if you are, if you get resistant to them or they see you roll your eyes, you cannot ever get in their heart or their classroom. They will not trust you. Not one bit. But if you if you take the right approach, then hopefully, even when you do inevitably make a mistake or a misstep, they'll actually be the one saying, oh, you know what? I think Alyssa Crabtree, you know, it, yeah, it wasn't perfect, but her heart's in the right place. I, I would trust her in my classroom. You know, they'll, they'll speak that for you because they'll be your big advocate. Oh, yes. And, you know, Heather, I'm so glad you brought that up because you know, there, these are some of the small mistakes that I've made personally, or someone else I've seen make, and where your body language or your, uh, maybe you say something and you don't mean for it to come across a certain way, but you don't ever know, you know, everyone's perception is different. 
And so they might internalize it. And what is horrifying is just one wrong move can sever a relationship and it will take so much time and effort to rebuild. So before you react to anything, think and pause, pause and breathe and don't take anything personally because your reaction could be detrimental. Yes. That goes with an administrator too. I think that mm-hmm. that pause and you kind of look off in the distance, it's, it makes you look like, look like a genius. Like you're just in your meta world <laughs> and you're really just trying to calm down and not roll your eyes, but you exactly. look like a genius. <laughs> okay. So last question I have for you tonight, what are three resources you recommend for instructional coaches? And it could be a podcast, a book, uh, someone on social. What do you recommend? Okay. So I think I'm going to try to do one of each. Someone on social who also is an author, uh, Adam Welcome. uh, Is that? No. Yes. Todd Nislone and Adam Welcome wrote Kids Deserve It. And y'all, I use, this is not a new book and they have a leadership book out now that I am going to read, but haven't yet. Um, They talk about those drops in the bucket to build positive rapport with your teachers and teams. And I've tried some of these moves and they really work. And the teachers that I worked with still remind me of them, you know, contacting a meaningful person in their life, um, you know, just whatever it is that lets them know. So maybe you do a survey at the beginning of the year, like, Hey, what would make you feel cared for this year? Or who, who do you want me to brag on you about, um, you know, when I want to brag about you, who can I let know? So that would be one. Um, this is another kind of oldie, but a good goodie. And she already mentioned Jim Knight, so that saves me one. Um, But uh, this book, Quality Questioning, I actually have two copies because I just never, I know I'm going to give the next one away. So I just have to have one because when you raise the level of questions, you raise the conversation and it uh, drives student results every time and they'll acquire better language as they go, which was important for me working with language learners. Um, So that's a huge one. And then the, bu- the books and works of Elena Aguilar um, are fantastic. So The Art of Coaching Teams is one of her. She has other work as well. Um, man, I'm going to do a fourth. I'm breaking the rules. Listen, do teachers it. Go, yes. do it. If you're not following Cornelius Minor and reading his book and waiting for his next book to come out, then you should. And his his wife, Cass, is also an educator and they spoke at TCTLA. So you'll probably want to follow TCTLA as well on social media. But he um, talks about so many beautiful things. And we actually have, I think, an interview um, with him about rest and restorative rest for teachers that made us weep because it spoke to the heart of what teachers are really feeling right now. Mm-hmm. So Cornelius Minor, current classroom teacher, um, world changer, please follow him because he speaks yes. the gospel truth. So. One of my absolute favorites. Oh, he has my heart always. And so does Cass. And her book, I think, was just released. So I don't have my hands oh, on it. Yay. But and Gravity Goldberg just came out with a new one, too. I need to, oh, I need to buy it. I, I think it's on for pre-order. Oh, yeah. I love her. But, Yes. Um, Okay. So Heather, where can our viewers follow you? Where can they get more information? Where can they work with you? Oh, so my Twitter handle is HF reads like reads a book LLC. And um, on 
Facebook, I have a business page that is HF Reads LLC as well. Yeah. So you can find me there. I'm on LinkedIn um, as Heather. And then my last name, Fletes, which is spelled like Fleets, F-L-E-T-E-S. Um, and then I'm on Instagram, but I'm not super active on Instagram. And I'm not on the TikTok and the Snap, but I'm, I'm being convinced that I need to get on. So I'll let you know, but it, I'll just call it the same thing. So HF Reads. And then I work with... Um, Teachers doing professional development days in the summer during the school year. I model and coach for teachers and provide feedback. I sometimes train coaches as well um, and just talk about coaching practices. And then every once in a while, I'll do like a keynote, get you motivated and remind you that you're a world changer. So feel free to reach out to me at my email address. It goes straight to me, hfreadsllc at gmail.com. And you're welcome to share that with people at your campuses and district if you guys are in need of my services. But if you just want to talk with me, during the year about how it's going, please, you reach out as well. And you can even brag on yourself to me and it will make my day. Yes. So I do have, and so thank you, Heather, so much. I have one more like little surprise for anyone who is here tonight. There were uh, some colleagues of mine and I came up with a bundle for any kind of instructional leader. And there's 14 free resources on this bundle. And it's- wow from uh, leading PLCs to teacher wellness. Um, there's even a library, uh, classroom library audit checklist in there. So I'm gonna drop the link also in the comments. If you are here live, you can snag that. But like I said, 14 free resources from some really cool leaders in education. And Heather, oh my gosh, I cannot tell you how excited you have brought so much to the table, so much for me to think about and take back. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for being here tonight. Well, thanks for having me. I can't wait to come back again. Yeah, girl, we gonna schedule it. <laughs> it's gonna be good. And I wanna put up your email one more time, just so reach out to Heather Fletes. She is genius, genius. Thanks, Alyssa. <laughs> Well, so I can't you. wait to see you soon. Yes, can't wait to see you. And everyone, enjoy your evening. Yes, we love you, instructional coaches and teachers. Yeah.